Welcome to the Cross the Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and I have another special guest today, somebody I'm happy to call a friend and a mentor, and I'm sitting with the owner of the SUV TV, Mr. Marcus Burnett. How you doing? I'm great, brother. Glad to be here with you. Oh, thank you for having us. I'm um, glad you're sitting down with us just to pick your brain, talk a little basketball, and just talk about how you made your um, start in your career. So for people who don't know, what is the SUV TV? SUV TV is an online channel geared towards uh, live broadcasts of sporting events as well as original content around those sports. I say basketball is our primary sport, mm-hmm. but we also deal with sports like football, lacrosse, soccer, so on and so forth. And how long have you actually been in business? Uh, we're going into our fifth year. Fifth year, okay. So, so how did you actually start? So SUV TV was started based off of a niche I saw in the broadcast industry. Prior to starting SUV TV, I worked for a company that was essentially a self-service platform. They gave you your own site, you broadcasted through it. For me, I felt like there was a, a missing piece in terms of broadcast that really gave you television style quality, even though they were on the web. So that mm-hmm. was where SUV TV was uh, you know, created out of that niche that I saw and wanted to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. And was it something that you said, you know what, it's time for me to just leave? So it was a combination. I had a little bit of a nudge uh, just because the company that I was working for, they made a shift from something that had a little bit more of a personal presence in certain markets mm-hmm. to strictly a technology company. So they convinced the workforce as a result. I uh, had an instance to where, uh, let's say, November 2000, I want to say 13, uh, that was when they laid off every regional manager except for myself. So I finished up my business plan. And by that June, uh, June of that next year, by the time they had laid me off, I was ready to hit the ground yeah. running. Were y'all, were y'all streaming sports or was it just a, a wide variety of different things that you covered? It was sports. And so it was all high school sports, a lot of football, a lot of basketball, various sports across the country. Uh, but then obviously for me, I had that that pressure point with basketball. Uh, you know, being from Indiana and relocating to Atlanta, I felt like there was a, a, a more of a presence needed for basketball mm-hmm. broadcasting. Did you feel like you needed to, to relocate in order to, you know, like, grow your business or what was it that made you want to say it's time for me to up and move from Indiana? For me, it was, it was majoring in marketing and feeling like Atlanta was just a great place to be. Um, and for anybody that, that was going into that field, little did I know the sports media element that would be down here for me down through the years, but having grew up, grew up in, having grown up in Indiana, then going to college in St. Louis, I was fine with being in the Midwest. But every time I came to Atlanta for business, in addition to getting away from the cold temperatures up there, I just felt like between the corporate headquarters here and then the number of freelance and independent projects, Atlanta was just the place for it. I know I, I, some, at times I think about, you know, relocating for my career in, you know, Atlanta or Charlotte. But w- what would you say is like the biggest thing you had to get adjusted to when you moved to Atlanta? Well, it's, it's different. It's not this, it's not a Midwest pace uh, per se, although I feel like, you know, certain parts of the Midwest, obviously the pace of a Chicago going to be different than every other you know spot in the Midwest. So that's different, but it's a, it's a different feel uh, down in Atlanta, but I feel like Atlanta has whatever kind of pocket you're looking for. If you're looking for a suburban pocket, you want the downtown feel, you want the hustle and bustle. I feel like Atlanta has each different lane or flavor, depending on what people's personal or business preferences are. So for me, I just saw it as a great opportunity and a, and a place that really has a great mixture of a lot of different elements. When you talk about your company and the job that you had left for this, did you have one foot in, still working there, and still starting your business at the same time? Were you doing both, or was it just still there, and then when it was time, when they started downsizing, that was when you finally... 
Right. Once they started downsizing, the, the thought process and the wheels turning, that had already occurred prior uh, to my being laid, laid off and starting SUV TV. But um, in terms of actually putting it uh, into action, I waited until after I completed uh, my work with the other company. And for me, I think that was key because there was a lot of overlapping in the customer bases that I served and the relationships I built for IHI and then the same customer customer base and relationships I built for SUV. So I like how I handled that situation with the right timing because I feel like, you know, I handled it in a way to where all of my past colleagues and stakeholders can still appreciate, you know, what I was able to do versus having one foot in and one foot out and kind of compromising integrity. Right. Was it was it easy to, you know, kind of start your business a little bit in the sense that you were already kind of doing something similar to this already? Was it was it easy for you? Yeah. So uh, a lot of the relationships and the rapport transferring that was easy in terms of the business and the industry itself. One of the biggest challenges we face is that prior to me uh, you know, not being with IHI and starting my own company, everything was provided for free. All of the mm-hmm. streaming was provided for free because the iHi business model was maximize the traffic, generate advertiser revenue, and go from there. So now you're going to a business model where you're actually producing the content, so there's a cost involved with it. So that was a, a long transition in terms of getting people to go from what they were used to getting for free to actually going to something that was more premium but still required a cost and an investment as well. Mm-hmm. So that was a transition that took right. some time. What would you say was the biggest obstacle was it that or was it something else that you think was a bigger obstacle like when you started starting your own business i would say that was probably the biggest obstacle because you know when you're starting obviously you know there's not a ton you know everything was invested from uh, my wife and i our savings as well as my 401k that was our total investment so no outside mm-hmm. investors so that was tough in terms of being able to still put out the work that we need to really get our names out there but then also realize that it's going to take time and a ramp up period for people to get used to paying for our services. So that was a, a, a tough point. That was an obstacle. I probably say the biggest one. But again, it's one of those things where you got to kind of put the time in to not only be a thought leader in the space, but to really just make sure that people can tell the difference in quality. And would you say that was pretty much your only option after you left there? And like you were saying, you and your, the wife, your money, you and your wife had and taking money out your savings. Did you feel like this was really your only option since you took all that money and just invested it? Did you feel like this was it? Well, de, de jure wasn't my only option because from a marketing standpoint, um, you know, I had other interests. I could have taken other positions, but de facto was my only option because for me, I had a certain level of fulfillment and just, uh, you know, a certain comfort with my livelihood in terms of when I was working for that previous company. I was a, a, a regional manager responsible for multiple states. The home office was in another state. So it was very... Mm-hmm. It was very entrepreneurial, even though you had, you know, compensation and a benefits package that was obviously different than starting your own thing. So it had the perfect balance of being able to work for another company, but also being responsible for kind of building a territory from the ground up. So in that aspect, I knew I didn't want to go back to your average nine to five, according to a desk, you know, some of the other corporate things that I had experienced. I knew I didn't want to go back to that. So even though I had options for me. I didn't have an option. I knew what I wanted to do. So it was really it really came down to are you bold enough to take that step and make sure you make it happen. Right. And how did you like starting out? How did you begin getting gigs when you first started started your business? So a lot of it, I would say the first two years we were in business, we did so much pro bono work that we were probably more of a nonprofit, uh, a 501c3 without the status than we were, um, you know, a true profit turning company because we had to take that time to 
continue to grow the relationships, but also show people the quality that we were providing. Mm -hmm. So even though we did, you know, we were able to turn a profit, it was a very modest one. But the whole focus was let's just show that we have staying power. Let's continue to learn from the market, make things better and then be able to go from there. So mm -hmm. the first couple of years, we got a lot of gigs just through relationships, but also doing a lot of spec work just to be able to get our foot in the door and grow relationships mm -hmm. from there. So did you would you say you started taking gigs that even though you knew the kind of work you could do, did you just take any gigs? Because, you know, you just, it was just a start just to get a foot in the door. Would right. you just take anything that came your way? Yep. In, in hindsight, I look back in those early couple of years and I wouldn't change anything. But we did a lot of stuff. You know, now we use a lot more discretion. We, we built the business to a point to where we can be a lot more selective and focus on hitting home runs with the clients and events we do choose to take on. Uh, versus a bunch of singles. But back then, I mean, we, we, we were taking anything smoking. I mean, we go from broadcasting a two, three-day basketball tournament one day to uh, we actually broadcasted a cattle competition uh, in Alabama wow. at one point. So early on, it was those types of things that really helped get our name out there, show our capabilities. Not a lot of discretion, really just, okay, you need it streamed, we're there. But even though we had some takeaways from that, I still think it, it, it helped build our character as a business mm -hmm. because – you know, you just had to get out there and do it, especially at a time where streaming, even though it was out there, it still wasn't commonplace. Right. Yet. And one of the things we were talking about was like getting your gigs and everything. It was, is, it, is it hard to get people to to buy into what you're doing? Because one, one of the things, like I was telling you before, was, you know, for me starting out, starting my own business. I didn't really want to go into, you know, just going into these different businesses and saying, hey, would you sponsor me? Because you don't really know anything about me. I was like, let me build this relationship and, you know, see if they'd be willing to do interviews. So, but did you have a hard time, you know, getting people to buy into what you were doing at first? I won't say it was a hard time. I would say I just went into it. And even though I've gotten more patient with time, I went into it knowing that it's a process. For me, I've always been a marketing guy, not really a sales guy, because I feel like if you market and position yourself appropriately, that's going to help the sale a lot more than a hard, aggressive, do this, do that approach. Because like you right. said, the client has to know you. You have to get to know them. And that just takes a process. Right. Um, you know, we get bombarded with so many advertising messages to a point to where, you know, an advertising message might not break through the clutter. But showing a genuine desire to understand my business, the needs and what you can do for me, that's going to help you break through the clutter much quicker than any sort of sales right. collateral. So because it's always been about that process. Because it's like people... When you, when you talk about money, it's like a real sensitive subject. And, you know, as soon as you ask somebody, hey, would you dish out some money so they quickly just draw up and they don't really like to 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 spend money but so how, how long did it take you before you how many years or whatever time frame was it that you said okay now i started seeing some profit in what you were actually doing but believe it or not we were actually profitable years one and year two so we experienced okay. profit now it was a very modest one that we invested right back into the company but we were able to be profitable even from that first year despite all of the work that in hindsight we did pro bono wow what about uh, gigs? Are you at a point now where you have to actually start turning down gigs because you have too many or how, how is it now? Yeah, we're, we're blessed to be at that point. Um, you know, while we continue to grow and scale, we also make sure we, we make we get it to a certain point where we're not watering down the product. And also we want to create a competitive advantage for the events and the clients that we serve. So we have become more selective and, uh, and, and turn down certain events at certain times. Um, we've also had instances where we might turn down an event at one point but then you look down the road and then we're able to work together. So it's all about a timing mm -hmm. thing. Do you feel like it, you may have missed out on certain opportunities because you turned down gigs or, or do you 
or do you look at that? Well, ironically, you know, we haven't really turned down a ton because usually we're, we always find a way to incorporate it into the schedule. Things have kind of worked. For those that we have turned down, there really haven't been any regrets because we've got certain criteria that we use to vet certain opportunities. So if it doesn't pass through that criteria, you know, we, we can rest easy because, you know, it just wasn't a good fit. And what, what all sports do you guys cover now? So we have vertical channels and basketball, SUV TV. Uh, football, SUV TV, football, and then lacrosse, lacrosse fire TV. Those are our three vertical areas, but we've done uh, sports from boxing, hockey, baseball, softball, volleyball. So we do it all. Basketball, football, and lacrosse are just our three channels. And is it, basically, is it pretty much mostly high school and college? or Yeah, over 80% of it is high school. Um, for lacrosse, that's that's a college property. Uh, then we've also produced uh, NCAA Division One men's and women's basketball, as well as some semi-pro slash celebrity events as well. So, and it seems like a lot. So, are are you able to, you know, being an overseer and running your own company, are you able to, you know, relax and take a vacation? Because sports are is are year round. It's like nonstop. Right. It's basketball, football, baseball, soccer, anything, just about everything you can think of. So, are you able to at any point, you know, like just get away and take a break? It's a combination. We're always working for work-life balance, uh, my wife and I. So we are able to build in some breaks, but it's kind of one of those things to where when you're doing what you love, there's a thin line between relaxing vacation and work. It's very thin. There are times mm-hmm. where uh, my wife and I will set time aside to relax and go on, a, uh, go on a vacation, but we'll almost make ourselves miserable because we're trying to separate ourselves from the content and from the laptops and from what we're doing. But the reality of it is we enjoy what we do. So it's, it's times where we don't overdo it in terms of vacation and breaks. You enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, you still have to get your rest and, and be able to put the computers down for a second. But at the end of the day, don't make it harder than it has to be. A lot of times we work around the clock. Sometimes we get a break in. We balance it out. When you love what you do, same difference. Who would you say were some of your mentors, you know, in broadcasting and in sports? Who would you say were your mentors? Oh, man, great question. Great, great question. I don't always take time to really think through just trying to get it done. But I would say early on from a broadcasting standpoint, I would say Jim Host uh, was very influential. Uh, anybody that's from the Lexington, Kentucky area or really dealt with college basketball at a certain time. He was very he was a pioneer in terms of college basketball. The first NCAA March Madness promotion. I don't know if you remember back when Pizza like, had the little basketballs and uh, around the NCAA and Final Four. That was that was Jim Host thinking. He was also the chairman of IHI uh, when I started. So in terms of a lot of the different layers of business, sports media, and different thought leadership elements that he had, uh, I, I took and I soaked up a lot uh, in those years. So from a broadcasting standpoint, he was very influential. Uh, I'd also say Clifford Franklin, who was the CEO of uh, Fuse Advertising. That was mm-hmm. an ad agency I joined right out of college. What was huge about him is that not only did he have one of the best multicultural and general marketing ad agencies in the country, um, but he also did it with his wife. Uh, he and his wife owned the agency. So I was able to see that perfect balance of big business, but also being able to see a husband and wife team really kind of you know going to uncharted territory. So I would say those were two very big mentors uh, early on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that's not an exhaustive list, right. but those are some of the two that stand out early on. What would you say was some of the best advice that you received from from those guys? I would say um, for, for, from, from Clifford Franklin, I would say the, the biggest advice I got from him is being able to see the bigger picture and not letting emotion slash anger 
make their way into business. Mm -hmm. Coming out of college, um, you know, there's even when you don't realize, and I won't say it's as bad as they try to give millennials a bad rap for, but there's a sense of entitlement in terms of university I came out of, and wanting this and wanting that, and expecting this and expecting that. And what what Clifford Franklin at Fuse helped me helped me really kind of compartmentalize is, yeah, you might see things a certain way and feel a certain way about certain things, but what does that have to do with business in the bottom line? And are you communicating and handling yourself in a way where it's more about the business? Or it's more about you getting your point across or doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And for me, he helped me find that balance because you don't have to sell your soul or be disrespected as a professional or man in order to make sure that you're just balancing it and not letting emotions or, or short-sightedness get the best of you. So, so that is something that I really apply to this day because even though I, I used it in other corporate settings, now as an entrepreneur and business owner, there's things that he was telling me in lessons he was teaching me back then out of college that I hold on to so tight every day because now I'm in more of a position that he was in, in terms of being an owner and uh, doing what we do. And as a as an entrepreneur, if you had to to lay it out, what would you say is the blueprint for starting a business? Uh, I would say, uh, and obviously some of this is going to be industry specific, but I would say overall, you have to have a business plan and a business model. And when I say business plan, I feel like that term is thrown out. And a lot of times people think it's this big 60, 70 page document. The level of specificity is going to vary depending on the industry. But a plan doesn't necessarily mean some big bulky document. It's just a framework. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times people don't think things out enough um, in terms of their plan. So not only being able to have an idea of what you want to sell, who you want to sell it to, but some of the other business model elements that are going to make sure you're in a position to where in three, four years, it's not just the initial drawing board that you had in three, four years. You've got a business model that you can kind of edit as you see fit. And then also, I think you have to build in pivot points to your business model these days. Blockbuster Video didn't build in a pivot point. Right. Toys R Us didn't have enough of a pivot point. Um, you know, so you see industries to where people are leading an industry, but then they let it kind of you know pass them by. So you got to be able to know when to pivot and how to stay true to your business plan, but make the adjustments. Right. And and as a business per as a businessman, one of the things I struggled with, like I told you about, was you know, like doing what I'm doing, like eventually, like I I'll, I'll say I put up my own money, invest my own money, do t shirts and giveaways and everything, but and it's you know, some people tell me, you know, you need to start I love what you're doing, but mm-hmm. you know, you're not gonna be able to last if you're not, you know, making something off of it. So so how how did you figure out, you know, what to charge for your services and all those different things. Was it, right. was it like companies at first just throwing a money at you at first and you just taking it or did you sit back and, you know, kind of negotiate? How, how did yeah, that well, come? There are so many things. I would say control chaos is the best way to describe it because you need to have an idea on what it costs you to do what you do and what you have to charge to build a profit in there. But then you also have to be sensitive to the market and what the market is dictating. But then you also have to know when to push the envelope for the market. It's like I mentioned years ago from a streaming standpoint, everybody was used to getting streaming for free in the sports space. So now you have to get them to a point to where they see your quality is good enough to be able to be worth the budget that they have to invest into it. And that's going to take time. But if you give it away at a certain price, that's not fair to you or your business model or makes sense. Then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because, yes, you're turning something off of it. But you're not setting yourself up for the three to five year period to where you've undercharged so much that now when you want to start charging where you need your price point to be, it's a tough transition. So you got to know how to balance what your product is worth, what you need to charge, what the market will pay. 
but also what do you do behind the scenes to where if they're only willing to pay this much, how do we market or how do we provide enough added value to where we can close the gap and make a difference and charge what's going to have us in business for another 10 years versus what's just going to get us something this year and then have us you know, back to the drawing board next year. Right. So it's it, a combination of it. So how, how long did it take you to, to finally realize that, you know, this is something you see like staying long term, not just a couple of years. How long was it before you, you figure out like this? Okay, I'm in it for the long run. I'll be honest, brother, before the SUV logo was even designed, I knew I was in it for the long run. Wow. Because for me, it was just only going to be a matter of what adjustments will I need to make? I know I'm not going to see it perfectly right off the bat and just know everything and will never have to make any adjustments or, or, or in-game audible. I knew that wasn't going to be the case. Mm-hmm. So it was really just going to be, you know, how do we get out there get that feedback, see what the market is doing, and be able to incorporate that into what we do moving forward. But in terms of staying power, I knew early on mm-hmm. that what we had was built to last. Do you see anything in the foreseeable future where you might have to, you know, like you say, pivot again and make a different transition and adjust to what's going on? Well, for us, the good thing is our focus areas and our business model, it's already incorporated the pivot points long before they came. Mm-hmm. Our main focus areas and the whole reason why I named it SUV was it was supposed to be the sports utility vehicle. And the main focus area was supposed to be broadcasting, special projects, and sports marketing through a lot of the events that we do. And when you look at those three focus areas, everything that we've expanded to or things that we're considering expanding to now, they all fall under that area. So for a broadcast, you know, you've seen us grow in that space. That's always going to be a key part of it. From a sports marketing standpoint, we work with events to where we don't just come and broadcast. We, we provide on-site experiences. We run instant replays to a video board. Mm-hmm. We have promotions to engage and incentivize the audience. And then special projects, that's just always been that general area that I felt like we pulled from the ad agency. Because one thing about uh, one thing I liked about working in an ad agency is that you weren't just pigeonholed to just one area. It wasn't just marketing, just media buying, just advertising. It was really a suite of expertise that you use to get problems solved for your clients. And we're the same way in the sports space. So for me, we've pivoted in certain areas, we've added certain things, but it's all already been under those main focus areas that we that we created the business around five years ago. You, see, you know so much about it, about this business is already um do you have other people that reach out to you and ask you how they can grow their broadcasting business? I do. I have people that reach out. And, and for me, it's a balance of, you know, a big part of doing what we do is being able to, to work with people like yourself that I see that are, are coming after me and doing their own thing and are doing well and are like minded people. So for me, being able to bounce ideas off of, but also be a support system and a mentor to those types of people me that's part of what it's about because Mm -hmm. you know i feel like the suv tentacles and the the footprint is going to be uh, very big and far-reaching but it's even bigger if i'm able to affect other business owners where we really can set up something you know truly systemic versus me just doing my one-off and just leaving it at that let's let's make a transition real quick and talk some hoops because i know you're you're a hoops man yourself um college basketball one of the players the first player i want to talk about you know, it was a guy that we covered a couple of years ago over at Dorman was Zion Williamson. What do you yeah. see from him this year? What do you expect? I mean, man, it's just, you know, he's just such a a, a freak of nature athletically, mm-hmm. but he's not just that. Um, his feel for the game continues to improve. And he's just he's just a nightmare, man, just with the way he runs the floor, his size, his athleticism. Obviously, he's going to be tested at this next level. Right. But as the first couple games, I think, have indicated – 
you know, he's still going to be pretty good at passing that tip. Right. When I, the first game when we went over there, and I, I tried to make sure I paid attention to watching him play, but I just saw a kid. He was probably the most physically gifted high school player that I actually got to see in person and like the numbers that he put up. The only the only flaw is really like just high school is like, you know, the kids or the game just came too easy for him. Right. Like I, I played right. the best player I ever played with in high school was Devin Booker when you know he played at Clemson with his brother Trevor. But you know, he was just like the game was so easy because we had guys, you know, six feet tall guarding him in the paint when Book was six seven. So it was like it just came so easy, and it's like he didn't even have to work hard for right. for it because he was just he was just more physically gifted than all those other kids. But I, I think Zion he he has he has to give one my one of my mentors in radio. Now he said that he thought that he could be like the next LeBron. I'm not gonna go that far. I, I don't think I don't see LeBron, but I think he can be a, a really special talent. Yeah, in his own right, he can be special. I think he's already shown that. Um, and then what I like about him is that you look at the team that he played for in high school, and I think a lot of times, it depends on how you see it, you can say, you know, if he goes to a school to where, you know, maybe he has a little bit more around him, maybe they can play more of a fully national schedule. But even then, you look at him playing at Spartanburg Christian, you look at the fact that they were still playing in Chick-fil-A Classics in the dorm. Mm-hmm. They were still playing up against some pretty major bumps. And I don't think he had a ton around him. That's no knock to the kids around him, but I think he had to overcompensate and do a ton. Mm-hmm. There were times where we were watching games to where he was playing, you know, five on three or five on two. Yeah, they were double team, up. triple team. Exactly. So I think that even though that affected him in certain ways, I think it helped him in terms of being able to kind of, you know, kind of run with some leg with some uh some leg weight. So you know, or or swing a you know swing a bat with a heavy mm-hmm. donut on it. By the time you take that donut off, it's going to help. So obviously, college is going to be an adjustment. But I think some of the things that he did to, to really prove himself in high school, I think you're going to see a lot of that rain through in college, too. And I, I think with his size, athleticism, and his and his ball handle, I think that was something that will, you know, help carry on. Now, the only thing I, I didn't really see, you know, it was two years ago, but I didn't really think he was a great on-ball defender at the time. It was like at times, you know, guys get by him, but he'll, you know, chase him down for a chase-down block. But what, what do you think might be the thing that he may have to work on more as – uh, at the college level, I think um, I think the jump shot. Um, I think yeah. it's a good jump shot, but it's, it's a matter of you know being able to see it fall down consistently at the college and then on to the pro level. Um, but he's shown much, you know, uh, his improvement in that area. I think it's good. I think defense wise, I like what I see him in terms of being able to defend the pick and roll and be versatile enough to defend players even beyond his position. So I like that. I think the mm-hmm. jump shot. I think if he can knock down his jump shot consistently. How do you guard a guy that can knock down that shot to where you have to respect it and close out accordingly, but can also mm-hmm. put it on the floor? And then once he gets, I mean, you know, it's not like he can get within a certain radius. Like like his radius in terms of being able to take off is totally different than the average guy. It so is. He's, he's going to be a nightmare. Man. He is. And uh, and I think, you know, this like you said, not knocking the other kids, but like this will be the first year where he's playing with some of the top kids. In the nation, I like I don't I haven't really seen the other kids yet, but it's just R. like R.J. Barrett, Reddish. I mean, now her Barrett is for for real. Yeah, he's he's for real, and, and Reddish is on that on that same tier, man. So it's just like they're gonna be. I, I they're gonna have something to say about who who wins. Yeah. Uh, would you Vietnam. would you say they will probably be the favorite as you know with the talent? I mean, of course, yeah. and plus they're with Coach K. So yeah. you think they'll be the favorite? I mean, I, I have them up there, and I know like even last year's Duke squad, I think it was very good. But I don't think it was the same as, as these guys. 
Well, they have what the top four, three or four of the top ten in the nation, probably. So. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that's that's gonna be big. I, it'll be interesting to see. Let's let's transition to the NBA now. I mean, pretty much we everybody knows. I guess everybody expecting the same thing, but Golden State is there anybody out there that can compete. In my opinion, right now, there are there are teams that can compete. Nobody will beat them in a seven game series in the playoffs. Other than I think, I really think the Celtics have a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, if everybody's healthy, with with everybody healthy, with Kyrie, uh, what Tatum does, with um, you know guys like a Terry Rozier coming off the bench and Jalen Brown, with us being in Atlanta and having a front row seat to his development, I just think between what they put on the floor and then. Uh, you know, Brad Stevens as a coach, I really feel like the Celtics have a chance to possibly beat the Warriors in a seven-game series. And we'll see if the Rockets are able to make this trade for Jimmy Butler. If Jimmy I still Butler don't think that's through. enough. Yeah, I, 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 think it's still, I think it's still tough, but I think Butler brings a defensive and an offensive element that if you look at how close the series was last year, I think you insert Jimmy Butler, and I don't think he totally fills the Trevor Ariza void. But defensively, you get a guy that's just as good defensively, mm-hmm. if not better. And a little bit more skilled offensively. Uh, Ariza can knock down that corner three, and he's good. But you know, Butler's just but see, tough. for me, even last year, I just thought you know, go. I thought go. I felt like Golden State was just bored the whole year because they knew where they were yeah. going to go long term. And even even if Chris Paul didn't get hurt, I felt like they still would won. I just felt like they needed like a a push, a challenge. Okay, now we're down three two. Now we can turn it off. I, I just to me, I just never felt like they would lose anyway. And now you add DeMarcus Cousins. Even if he comes back and give averages 12 and 8, they're still bread on t- butt on top of the bread and right. everything that they already have. So it's just like I I have no clue like how you can how you can beat that. I just yeah. feel like it's just too much. They're, they're loaded and I think it's always they're they're the favorite for a reason, but I think anytime there is a jump shot heavy attack Still think there's always a small percentage that you can catch him at this at a window where the jump shot's not falling. Mm-hmm. Now, I know they've kind of broken it because it used to be, man, oh, they'll never, you know, the, the stigma on the Golden State was all, oh, man, they'll never want to ring with all those jump shots. Mm-hmm. That was the stigma. Right. Obviously, they busted through that just because of how efficient they are. Yeah, two of the greatest shooters ever. Yeah, their weapons. Because, I mean, everybody knows Curry can shoot. In my opinion, man, Clay Thompson is one of, is, will always be one of the most underrated players in the league. Yeah. The way he can shoot it, not to mention, He's guarding either the best or the second best guy on the floor every, every single night. night. If, it, if it's not him, then it's Draymond, depending on the matchup. Outside of that, plays guarding the best player on the floor every night. Mm-hmm. Do you think they'll break it up after this year? Man, I think it's so tough, you know, because I don't care whether it's a local business or an NBA team. You never know what's going on behind the scenes, what different dynamics are there. So I think it's always hard to, to guarantee that teams will be there. But I would say part of what makes him so successful now is part of why I think they'll be able to keep the nucleus intact. Mm-hmm. you got a guy like a Clay. You know, obviously you see some of the national media members try to bait him into, you know, doing the whole, you know, I could go elsewhere and do X, Y, Z talk. And he says, look, man, I'm, I'm handsomely paid. I'm, I'm, I'm part of a great group of, group of guys. I'm good. So I think if those types of intangibles stay there, they'll be okay. I think at the end of the day, man, these guys just need to have freedom to do what they want to do. Right. You know, even Durant going to Golden State. I applauded that decision because, in my opinion, I feel like the easier decision would have been to stay in OKC. Because I stay in OKC, I continue to be one of the top players in the league. If I don't win, hey, nobody expects me to beat the Warriors. But I think going to the Warriors was a tougher decision because, you know, you're going to face the criticism, oh, man, he's running over there. Man, on paper, we've already seen NBA teams on paper that don't win championships. It takes more than, man, you got to get out there and execute. 
And I, I sat down with Trevor earlier this year, and I asked him, dude, does he feel like they they get a bad rap for you know moving on and going join a different team because it's like if you if you stay and you don't win, then they criticize you. But then if you leave and go join another team like KD did, it's like well, you ring chasing. He right. was like, you know, he he honestly feels like they they should have the right to you know go choose a team they want to join. But you know, I think. It's like the older players, like the older NBA legends, they have an issue with saying, you know, you left your team to go join the ring. I guess they want you they want you to stay there and try to win. But I, mean, I think it's a combination of perspective. And for me, I look at it in levels. If somebody that played in the NBA went through that, that rhythm roll of an 82-game season and put in that requisite work, even though the player still has to make his own decision, I can put a little bit of weight on that opinion because they've been in those shoes. They've done that. Mm-hmm. For the average water cooler person, for us that have our opinion and have a right to that opinion, but we're saying what we would do when we're not putting our bodies to what right. these guys are putting their bodies through, we're not susceptible to an injury to where they can let you go at any at a moment's notice, then, you know, even though we can still have our own opinion, I just kind of take it with a grain of salt because these are the guys that are doing all the sacrificing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like you talked about in business or in sports. You got to know and go based off your convictions because the, the, the societal wind is going to blow whichever way, whichever way it's trending. They're going to mm-hmm. applaud you for one thing. They're going to dog you for another thing. Just go off your own convictions, yep. man. Same way with business. Yeah, you have to do what makes you happy. And, and with KD, I, I do think, you know, if, well, I'm, I'll say when they win again this year, I do think he'll probably be the odd man. I think he'll end up leaving. Now, 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 that, now that's saying the Knicks would be a possibility, which I which I do think that might be where he, he may he may head to the east. I think that'll be a good choice. But and you know what made me kind of see it was like just I watched uh, LeBron on the shop and he was saying you know he was just talking to Old Depot about how Old Depot was saying how he got traded while he was on a plane and then when he found when he got off he found out yeah. like he was gone. But you know LeBron was just saying you know, it's it's a business. Right. So to me I'm thinking you know KD he'll have have another ring. I mean, he has the money. Why not go do your own thing now? Because right. you'll still be a top three player in the league. So I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, KD might just get another ring and then leave. Yeah. I think that's a, a good possibility. Yeah. But I, I, I don't see him going to L.A. with LeBron. No. I, I just think that's out. I don't think he, he wants to do that. Uh, what, a couple more questions. For me, this is something, you know, I always I like to ask people when they sit down and talk about basketball who are they top five players but I want to do something different this time if you had to name your four Mount Rushmore players the four faces of the NBA who would you say they are currently or just overall overall okay so we start with MJ um after MJ I'm going to throw LeBron in there um Kobe MJ LeBron Kobe and then one more I say uh one more I'm going to say uh I'm gonna throw Bill Russell. Bill Russell, this this I'll give you my top four. You might call me crazy, but I'll, I'll say, of course, Bill Russell because he's one of the pioneers and who helped pave the way. Then I'll say Magic Johnson, of course, one of the most beloved figures. Then LeBron James, of course, everything he's doing on the court plus off the court. I mean, you can't can't knock that. And then my fourth, I will put Allen Iverson on that for me. I, j- I just think that, you know, how he... You watch Sanford's son. Oh, Elizabeth. I just put Iverson on that to me because it's like he... Of course, he was a great player, but then the way he kind of like embraced that hip-hop 
culture and brought it to the NBA with the cornrows, the tattoo headbands, the, the and one crossover and, and the jury, you know, and then they banned them from doing it all that at the All-Star game. To me, it's just like he was, to me, he was a polarizing figure as well. Yeah. So even though he didn't win, that's why I, for me personally, that's why I would put Iverson on my mouth. I respect, I, well. I respect that. I, I like that, man, because I think a lot of times that gets, that gets tossed to the wayside a little bit because I, I always appreciate Allen Iverson, but in terms of putting it how you just put it, I think it just means a lot because we, we actually did the Allen Iverson Round Ball Classic, his, his all-star event that he created to recognize high school seniors. And then just doing a lot of the prep work for that, you just really uncovered just how monumental I feel like Iverson's ascension was and, and how he did it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, Iverson is himself day in, day out, you know, 365 days a year. So, I mean, much respect for that pick because mm-hmm. I think it's a sleeper pick. I definitely well, I, resonate with those reasons, and, man. And even me, I tell people all the time, Kobe's my all-time favorite player, but I still wouldn't put him on there. And, and another thing is because one thing about when you talk about sports and you say who's the greatest player ever, it's all opinionated. Like, yeah. you can't – like, some people going to say Jordan, Kobe, LeBron. Somebody say Bill Russell because how many rings he right. has. So, it's right. you can never really prove who has right. – who's the greatest player of all time. You can say who won the most. But, you know, just the way Iverson just impacted the culture and, and to me how he embraced it. That's part of the fun in the debate. And then, then bro, he did what he did at his size back then. Exactly. He put a guard on his butt yeah. and, and, and not get kicked out of the game for it. And, and, and part of it for me is, you know, I was a baby when Jordan was playing. So I didn't really get to see him play. But, you know, I grew up watching Iverson and LeBron. So it, to me – it means a little bit more to me as well, but it, and I think if it's like when you watch, actually grow up watching them, you kind of get when you're living in that moment, you have like a feeling for it, like a feeling. But you know, obviously to me, I was, I just think he's like I said, uh, not one of the not the greatest, but like is like as a face of the NBA and everything. I, I, he does get criticized a lot, but I just think that everything that he did and how he left it all on the court and how he embraced that hip hop culture. To me, and plus, hip hop is a big part of the NBA. Like every time when you turn on the TV now and you watch an NBA game, all the you you hear NBA little different little hip hop songs right. in the background and all that stuff. But I think Iverson was one of those guys that kind of really truly embraced. embraced yeah, so that's why I put him in there. One final question before we get out of here: What would you say is your ultimate goal? Ultimate goal, I would say, from a business standpoint. Uh, my ultimate goal is to build my business entity to the point where uh, I can generationally affect everybody that comes behind me in this industry, uh, as well as in various communities and sectors. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's general, that's mission statement, um, you know, kind of mission statement like, but I guess the, the, the nutshell summary I can give of that is I see a lot of things in society that I like. I see a lot of things that I don't like. And for me, I want to be the most powerful investor in the things that I love and the most powerful opponent of things that I don't like when it comes to, you know, injustice in business as well as injustice overall. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's all about being able to amass enough capital, resources, and things that I can invest in the situations to either help them keep up the great work or they need to stop the uh, the, the non great work from happening and affecting as many lives as possible. Absolutely. Well, Marcus, I appreciate you. Thank you for sitting down with me. Until next time. Before we get out of here, though, would you tell everybody how to find you on social media? Yeah. So uh, SUV TV, you can find us at SUV TV on Twitter um, at SUV TV 
on Instagram. Uh, myself, I'm Mark, M-A-R-Q-B-U-R-N-E-T-T-S-U-V on Twitter. Um, I had to take Mark, man, because Marcus Burnett was, was taken. <laughs> and it was taken by a guy that's tweeted twice since. since uh, oh, man. <laughs> and, man, if you're listening to this, man, let me get Marcus Burnett, man. And then on, uh, on Instagram, is Marcus Burnett, S-U-V. All right, there you have it. Until next time, keep chasing dreams. This is the Cross the Line Podcast. Thank you for listening.